Live on tape from the top floor of WIFM, it's Idea Attic starring Zach Hergert, the humble farm boy who made it all the way from the cornfields of Nebraska to the bright lights of Las Vegas. We can be found on Spotify. We can be found on Apple Podcast, Podcast Attic, YouTube, and now our new affiliates, W Boom Boom B Atlanta and FM 101.1, The One, Nashville, Tennessee. I just want to shout out to our new stations. Really appreciate it, guys. So this episode is all about the silver screen. Let's get into it right now. Let's get rocking. It's Thursday night. I'm feeling good. It's been a long week, and I'm excited to release some demons. So tonight, I want to talk about breaking through, kind of going with the theme here. So obviously, we had a little fun with the intro, with some old Hollywood razzle-dazzle. And you'll always hear about breaking through. When you think about breaking through, you're like thinking about like maybe an actor or an actress, and they get that one big role that kind of takes them from being uh, a hack to being a household name, to being a star. Obviously, I'm not a Hollywood actor. I haven't broken through. I'm not a star. We're getting there. No, we're not. Um, but I'll kind of just tell you guys about my breakout moment as far as it goes with um, in business. And for me, it came, I was 27 years old. I had a fledgling property preservation business. If you guys don't know what a property preservation business is, it's basically what it is, is uh, what I did is I managed properties for um, banks and the properties were houses that were like vacant, uh, where the uh, the mortgagee, the the borrower, had stopped paying the mortgage, and the house was either um, being foreclosed on or had already been foreclosed on. So if it was being foreclosed on, the bank didn't actually own the property, but the property was vacant, and somebody had to like take care of it. So at that point, it was up to the bank, and the bank would hire somebody like me, and my company would. Uh, change the locks, uh, mow the lawn, make sure the property wasn't being damaged. If the property was damaged, we'd repair it. We would uh, remove debris from the yard and interior of the house. Um, so that's kind of like a quick overview. And if you want to know more about the business, how I got into it, listen to all the episodes and you can piece it together. So the business at this point, I was doing okay. I was making a living. It, it was going all right, but I wasn't getting rich. And so I was plugging away and I landed um, a project and it was the biggest, it was the biggest like job I'd ever done for any of these banks. And the project put $6,000 straight, straight in the bank for me. So I made $6,000 um, after paying um, all the guys I had working for me, paying all the fee, uh, like dumpster fees, um, materials and paying myself, I was able to put $6,000 in the bank. And then during that job, I landed a couple other projects um, that that each paid three thousand dollars. And out of the three thousand dollars, if I got a three thousand dollar like clean out job, I would make um, like a net profit before tax of anywhere between like nineteen hundred bucks and twenty two hundred bucks. So this job that put six thousand dollars in the bank was really like my. That was really when I was able to like that was really my, my breakthrough moment. You know, that was when I was able to not only like pay all my expenses and pay everything, I was able to put money in the bank. And I was like, I felt like I was no longer struggling. I was in the driver's seat. I was no longer like making a living 
I was like building a, like a retirement. I was starting to like build a fortune. Um, and, and that job, $6,000 isn't like a ton of money, but that was like sort of like the turning point because I got that. And while that job was going on, I got other jobs. And then after that, I was getting like jobs steadily because all of my clients knew that I could like handle it. I could handle my shit. I could figure things out. I could get things done on time and on budget. So it was a turning point for me. And because of that breakout, because I was able to break through and I had money in the bank, I was able to do a lot of different things. So I finally like had leverage on my side, you know, um, I wasn't worrying about my bills. I could go after the projects and the jobs that I actually wanted. I didn't have to go do things. Say I didn't have to, I no longer had to say yes to like everything that someone brought to me. Right. I was able to be a little bit more picky, go after things that were going to like put money in my pocket. Um, not only that, I could hire more employees to take on more work. So I could go after the, uh, the profitable jobs. I could take on less profitable jobs um, that I didn't have to like physically or deal with myself. I could, uh, finally, I could also work on my business and not work in my business. And I think that that's something that like a lot of people that are self-employed or solopreneurs, you know, it's hard to go from being self-employed to being a business owner. Um, and for me, and I think for everyone, once they get like a breakthrough, then they can start working on their business, not just in it. And the other thing is I could start to implement and administer the game. Um, and what the game is, is the game is just basically anything that's not monetary, monetary, anything that's not like extra pay to motivate your employees to like do a good job, show up for work and everything like that. So the game could be like a variety of different things. And I go into the game pretty deep, I think uh, episode 15, but just like a quick overview of like what the game is. So let's say like um, if you, for example, this could be an example of the game. Um, if you hit all of your like sales, you, let, let's say like you have to hit so many like sales goals to like keep your job. <clears throat> That's the game, obviously. And then like, let's say like, oh, well, if you hit like um, this many this week, like you can wear jeans on Friday. That's the game. So shit like that. Or like you get like, um, if you, um, it, it can be administered. It can be set up a lot of different ways, but it's just a way to motivate your employees to like do a good thorough job that doesn't involve paying them more. And once you can, once you can implement a game, um, then things are a lot easier because then, then your employees are like motivated, but it's not necessarily costing you more money. So We'll probably get into the game again sometime in the future, but that's for anyone who owns a real business, mastering the game is like something that you, you absolutely have to do um, if you want to scale. And that's something that like no one really talks about. So um, going back to uh, the breakthrough, oftentimes to break, to break out, to break through, you need to land a big job, um, sell something big that's high commissions land a big project or uh, land a large ongoing predictable contract. So let's say you own electrical contracting business and you get hired to like do all the maintenance at like a Tyson plant or something like that. That would be a large ongoing predictable contract where you know you can hire new employees because they're going to have work to do. And once you do that, I feel like the whole game changes once you get to that breakthrough point. I know for me when 
when I really broke through in my business, I feel like it wasn't, it was like everything changed, not just like the day-to-day things, but like kind of how I thought about my business changed from like just a job to like something more. I was like, wow, like this is really going to work. I'm really making money. You know, it was like exciting. So I think that, you know, if you're just plugging away, like your like breakout could be like around the corner and once it happens, it's, it makes everything so much more worth it. So this week's idea is going to go back to like a breakthrough. And this week's idea is this is a really tough idea to pull off. And it's an idea that many, many people have tried over probably the past probably 100 years. But only very few have ever broken through. But the ones who do, if you do break through in this business with this idea, you're going to be set for life. In fact, your kids will probably be set for life. And what it is, is this idea is is making a commercially successful film. I know you're rolling your eyes right now, but just hear me out a little bit because it can be done. It's been done before. And we're going to kind of go back to something I talked about in the last episode about film, uh, filming things. Now more than ever, films can be made extremely cheaply. You can easily make a full-length feature film for under $25,000 if it's done correctly. Um, and you can also distribute it widely through multiple channels. So I know you're probably rolling your eyes, but just like look at something like Paranormal Activity. The people who made Paranormal Activity, they only spent $15,000 of their own money on the production budget. And then what they did is they took it to a film festival. It got picked up by Paramount, and the movie ended up making $193 million. That's a really good return on your uh, $15,000 investment. Obviously, something like Paranormal Activity, that, or like Blair Witch, which I have kind of in the teaser thumb clip, Those are like very, uh, there's only like a couple of those a lifetime, but there are other movies that aren't like huge block blockbuster, like hits, but they can be like cult classics or like independent films that like go straight to video or whatever. And like, let's say they don't make like hundreds of millions of dollars. So check this out. There's a, a movie called Thanks Killing. It's some shitty horror movie about Thanksgiving with like a killer uh, turkey. And these guys had a, they, the budget for their movie, I think they were like in college at the time, was $3,500. And I believe that it made over $100,000. And what they did is they did some like, um, it was a horror movie. So they didn't really like need that many special effects. I think they just used like some sort of doll or like stop start animation kind of thing. Um, and then something else that they did is I believe that they like cast a couple like adult film stars, um, in it. So those girls like already had kind of like a strange, like built in audience. If you think about it, that would watch them like do anything. There was some nudity in the movie. Um, so these guys like barely put any like money into it and they got like a pretty good return. Not only that, um, it wasn't hugely commercially successful, but a production company um, did pick up their rights to the next two sequels. So there's three of these movies that these guys have made. So that's pretty good. And not only that, um, I also was doing some like research on this idea because not only do I think that 
like it's pretty like it's gonna be like pretty difficult to make like a huge amount of money on this but like all you need is like if you like got the right idea and like the right filming and it like all you would have to do is like go viral and you would like make tons and tons of money so this is kind of like um this is like a really like long shot idea, but I feel like God, like if you could even just like make some cult classic and like distribute it through like Amazon, you can make tons of money. Um, so as late as 2016, Netflix and Amazon were paying uh, independent film, paying for independent films starting at forty thousand dollars. But I don't believe that they're like doing that anymore. I know you can um, distribute through Amazon. I believe you can also. Um, do I I know a uh, YouTube movie, but I, I'm not exactly sure how like you get on with that. I know that you could do a, uh, a free, you could put it on YouTube for free and then just like get paid, uh, it, put advertisements, advertisements in it and get paid. Um, you could also try to show it at film festivals like South by Southwest, other things like that and have a major studio pick it up. So here's kind of like the two like dream. Well, one of them is a dream scenario. The other one is like obviously much more realistic. So the the first scenario is the dream scenario, right? And that's to do something like paranormal activity, have a super low budget, show it at a film festival, get it picked up and distributed by something like Paramount and make tons of money. That's something that you could definitely try. It's highly unlikely that it would get picked up and it's highly unlikely that um, it would make it to theaters. And if it did make it to theaters, it's highly unlikely it would do that kind of numbers. But that's something to obviously shoot for. Something that's a lot more likely is putting it on something like Amazon. Now you can distribute your your um, film through Amazon, and you would get fifty percent royalties for like for streaming purchases. So, I think what I would do is I was I would put it um, on Amazon streaming, um, and maybe I would take like let's say. Let's just say like this is like a pretty decent budget in my mind, but like $20,000. I would spend $10,000 on the production of it. And then I would spend another $10,000 like um, with like advertisements for the movie, for, for the marketing. Because even like nowadays, like I feel like, I mean, if you had like a good story and you could actually like, if you could actually like write dialogue halfway decently, you wouldn't have to have like these over the top, like special effects. Like I feel like a lot of the movies coming out like now, like Star Wars and like some of the other like action, like action hero movies, the storyline sucks. The dialogue isn't very good. And they just like lean so hard on the special effects. And it's like, I'm just watching a fucking video game. And I feel like movies like in, in the 80s and like early 90s they had like just enough like special effects where they they still couldn't just like totally like lean on the special effects. So I think that that's like most of the classic movies the the movies that still hold up today aren't like packed full of special effects. You know, if you looked at like Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, like those movies they have some special effects but it's not the whole movie. It just like helps the plot and helps push the story along. It isn't the story. Or a lot of the movies now, it's just all special effects. So I think if you can make like a something like compelling, and I and I've heard horror movies, like think about Jaws, like the thing in the the shark in Jaws like didn't even work, and that's what actually made the movie so good. So if you could do something like a monster movie where you're not showing the monster that much, something like that where you don't need to blow a bunch of money on special effects, 
Um, you could have like a smaller set, uh, a smaller cast of characters, um, but a compelling story. I think you can do okay. You just like need people to see it. So like the distribution, I think, would be the hardest part. I mean, you could do Amazon, 50% royalties. That like seems like a like you're really getting hosed on that. The other thing that you could do is you could put it on YouTube um, with ads. And uh, according, I kind of had to like sh look through like a ton of different websites because this isn't like super clear on exactly like how much you get paid. So I saw between, they were saying like, if you monetize your YouTube, you get between like a dollar and seven dollars and six cents per thousand views. So like, you're going to have to get like tons of views. But if I was doing it like that, what I would be doing is I would put out the first movie and promote it and try to make it as good as I could. But it would really be like a setup for like the second movie or like another movie I was doing after that, because you need to like really build up your like fan base. So you might end up taking a hit on the first movie. Um, but I would still like do those, like if you could put it on Amazon and YouTube, and I would even like try to get it shown at a film festival. I'm like, who the fuck cares? Just get as much as you can out there. And along with like YouTube, I would also, not only with like the, the um, monetizing the, and putting like advertisements in it, I would also like um, like sell things that people could buy. Like I would like sell merchandise about the movie. I would like do shirts, mugs, bumper stickers, like the whole nine yards to like try to get as much as I possibly could out of it. So I also did some like uh, additional research um, on how to like make a profitable movie. I mean, there's not like a lot of research out there on it because a lot of people that make movies or a lot of people that write stories, they're not exactly like business minded people. Their head is kind of like in the clouds and that's not all of them, but that's just like a general. I mean, if you're like an artist, you're, you're more into your art than like making money. So I'm kind of like the opposite. I'm more into money than like art, but I'm still... I'm still like an, an artistic sort of person. Obviously, like I'm doing a podcast. So there's some art there. Um, I remodel houses and like flip houses. So that's kind of like art in a way, I guess. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't do art just for like art's sake. But that's a way like a lot of people who are like really into film are. So it's kind of hard to like uncover like the business side Um of film. A lot of the articles I read about it, trying to like research this idea, I wasn't getting anything like straightforward on the finance, on the financing side or like the financial side. But one interesting article that I did run across uh, was on the guardian.com. And what they did is a, uh, uh, in England, some university actually studied uh, story arcs, different movies and then, and then categorize or categorize those movies into different story arc uh, story arcs of like the protagonist. And the analysis showed that the man in the whole movies and a man in the whole story arc is basically like the the uh, character starts out starts out happy, then they get sad, and then they get happy again. This trajectory was a most financially successful movie across all genres. So the, the happy, sad, happy trajectory. So like status quo, something bad happens, and then they like have to go back to status quo, basically. So that's something to keep in mind if you want to do this. I always thought like a horror movie would be like a really easy, um, 
independent film to make to try to like sell and and try to get into being like a cult classic i think it lends itself to that a little bit because horror fans like a lot of like strange offbeat things so uh maybe start there i think that's a really like good interesting idea um and as far as like business goes i mean this obviously like i wouldn't quit my full-time job or i wouldn't quit uh, my full-time business to like try to get a movie uh, to try to make a movie to make millions of dollars, obviously. Uh, this is just something that I've, I've always thought about. It would actually kind of be more like a hobby thing. And then if you could make any money off it, um, it would be an added benefit. But I mean, when I think about this idea, I, I'm always drawn back to the movie Thanksgiving because the whole concept of it is just so shitty and it's so... No one's ever heard of it and it like turned a profit and it's just, the movie is just so stupid. I mean, if you want to go watch it on YouTube now, you have to go pay for it. So they have a distribution for it. It has some sort of cult following. So that's just like, that's the example that kind of like pulls this idea along, I guess. And hopefully, I mean, it's hard to find like financials for independent movies for sure. So it's really hard to... um to, I guess, quantify what it would look like to be like, have a, a independent movie that's successful. But I think that's definitely something to look at. I mean, if you got a Blair Witch, um, if you did a Lost in Translation, Paranormal Activity, anything like that, I mean, the people that are in Paranormal Activity probably, they never have to work another day in their life and their kids probably never have to work a day in their life. So that's like, obviously the biggest like breakthrough um, that you could possibly have is making a, a movie that just catches fire. So moving along, um, this is, we're shifting gears. We're shifting gears hard. This is more, a lot more realistic, but it's in Hollywood. This business, this business for sale is in Hollywood, Hollywood, Florida. So kind of <laughs> flipped it on you. And what it is, it's a sport fishing, uh, charter fishing business. They also do small boat rental. Like I said, it's in Broward County, Hollywood, Florida. I believe Hollywood, Florida is on the Miami side of Florida. Asking three million bucks, but check this out. Cash flows eight hundred and seventy thousand, and that's off of a gross revenue of two point two million. The business it's been in business since nineteen seventy five, so that's a real good track record. They got one full time and eight part time employees. Um, they currently have the fleet is currently made up of a one fifty five foot. A 46 or two 46 foots and a 37 foot um, sport fishing boats. They also do boat rentals. Um, they do kid friendly boat tours. They do kids birthday parties, corporate events, Bahama tarpon fishing, bachelor parties, mahi mahi fishing, shark fishing, and plenty more. Swordfish, of course. A special program is now available for the SBA 7A loan, and this company qualifies for it. First six months have payment forgiven, according to the ad, the teaser. I have to look into that. I cannot guarantee that. All of the equipment is included in the asking price. They will stand for support and training. The reason for their selling is the mother is currently passed away and the father is moving to North Carolina. If you'd like more information on this business, 
contact Robert Dolan of Dolan Sales Incorporated, 954-579-4687. If you missed that information, you'd like more information, reach out to me on the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the emails. I will put that in the show notes. I think that's a pretty like interesting business and that'd be kind of be like a fun business, especially if you are already into fishing, um, you're semi-retired, obviously, well, I don't know why I said semi-retired. The thing makes $870,000 a year. That's a lot of money. Um, and what did I say it was at? They were asking for $3 million. So if you could pay somebody $3 million or get a loan to pay somebody $3 million and you made $800,000 a year for the rest of your life, obviously that's pretty good money. Not a lot of people out there making $800,000. So that would be perfect. Um, uh business for somebody who already had like an interest in that. And I think that the the demand for that is good because anyone who like um, goes on vacation in Florida, you like, you want to do oceany things. Right. And I think sport fishing is something that like, you can only do that in a couple of places in the world um, with that variety of fish. So I think that this business is really good for that. And in Florida, like that's a perfect place to have something like this. So if you guys want more information, reach out to me. Moving on to the three critiques. Three critiques of the week. This isn't a weekly show, but it just sounds good. The first one, um, somebody I know, uh, they have a painting business and they want to become a home inspector. Um, don't like the move from painting to home inspector. You're going to make about the same amount of money. Now, if you own a home inspection business and you have home inspectors working under you, that's different. So I know a couple people in the home inspection game, being a realtor. I know one guy that has owned several large home inspection companies. He makes multiple, he makes a million bucks a year doing that. He, I think, has seven to ten inspectors working under him. He's been doing it a long time, um, knows everything about it. thing you have to know about home inspections uh, is you're going to be dealing with, like, uh, not only the buyers and sellers who are going to be pissed if you find things or miss things or... or if something breaks or you break something, you're also going to be dealing with the agents on both sides. So you're dealing with four parties that don't really want to deal with you. And no matter what you report, good or bad, they're going to have to be pissed about something. The other thing is <clears throat> if you miss something, even though there's tons of disclaimers, you're going to have to like – you're going to have to like – bite the bullet sometimes. And if you say like the dishwasher is good and it breaks, like you're going to have to bite the bullet sometimes and just like buy the people a new dishwasher. Otherwise they're going to like shit all over you on social media and tell their friends that you suck and you don't know what you're doing. Um, they're going to bitch to their realtor. Their realtor is going to run your name through the, through the mud. So home inspecting you're it's, it's not really like, it's kind of like real estate. Like people think that they're like, well, I like houses. So I'll like real estate. Selling real estate has nothing to do with liking houses or not liking houses. It's all about dealing with people. Home inspector, you think it's all about like inspecting houses. <clears throat> it's actually all about dealing with people. Now, if you have your own um, home inspecting, inspecting uh, business and you get it up and running, you can actually make pretty decent money. You can make between, I would say like uh, four, on average, like $400 to $800 per day. But in order to keep um, your schedule full, you have to do a lot of marketing. You have to be around a lot. People have to know you, know you, like you, and trust you. 
it's kind of the same as like being a realtor in a lot of ways. You have to do a lot of advertising, a lot of handshaking, a lot of introducing yourself to like keep your schedule full. <clears throat> this guy I'm talking to like has a painting, uh, is a painter. It's like, dude, just build up your painting business. It's kind of the same thing. But when the market goes to hell, a painting business isn't going to suffer as bad as a home inspecting business. If the market goes to hell, you're going to be out of business with a home inspection business. If there's no home selling, you're not going to have anything to do. So home inspector, I say maybe, depending on who you are. It just depends on what you, how, how you want to approach it. Can be good, can be bad. It's kind of like selling real estate. The next one is personal chef. Um... Okay. Maybe. I don't know. I did some research on personal chef. Um, the pay for personal chef is like all over the board. And I'm, I'm sure it depends on like how you were like trained. Well, it doesn't depend on how you were trained. It depends on your clients. You need the kind of people that want to spend like big bucks. So the kind of pay I saw for a personal chef was anything from like $15 an hour up to like $120,000 a year. Um, so the salary, I guess, was like between $35K and $120K. So that's like a really big difference. So I'm assuming that all comes down to like your clientele. So if you have a rich clientele that want like high-end kind of cuisine, then obviously you can charge more. If you have more... Obviously, if you get a personal chef, I'm guessing you're like rich. Um, although I would never use, I would never consider using a personal chef. And um, so, anyone who's going to be using a personal chef is going to have money, obviously. But you don't want people who have money that are on a budget. You want people that have money that are extravagant. That's how you're going to make your money. So you're going to have to like go to be in places where people are very. Um, status driven and appearance driven. So I guess that kind of ties back in with uh, Hollywood. So it's all about the clients, I think, for personal chef. I don't think it has anything to do with your creden credentials. I don't care like where you went to school. If you can make good food, you can get the right people. So personal chef, depending on where you live, if you live in Nebraska, no fucking way. No one's going to pay for you. Just forget it. People might pay for like have one or two meals cooked as like a for like a dinner party or something as like a novelty, but you're not going to get steady work. So I say no in the Midwest. No. The other one is um, somebody I know who's a realtor also wants to start a property management company. A property management company is a license to steal money. You can make tons and tons of money with a property management company. And so let me like spell it out for you here. So a property management company, if you don't know what a property management company is, let's say I have a rental house or a building that I rent out, an apartment building. So I rent out this house for $1,200 a month, but I don't want to like deal with tenants and I don't want to deal with phone calls and bullshit. So I put a property manager in place. I hire a property management company. They fill vacancies. They answer the phone when the toilet's broken. They collect rent. If the person doesn't rent, they evict the person. Now, just to collect rent, they charge between 5 and 10%. Most of them charge close to 10% unless you're giving them a lot of volume. So if you're giving them one house, they're going to probably charge you somewhere around 10% of the monthly rent. So if you're renting that house out for $1,200, they're going to charge you 120 bucks for their services. 
Now the 120 bucks is just for them to collect rent. And when I say just for them to collect rent, it's 120 bucks if the people pay their rent on time. Now, if the people don't pay their rent on time, the property management is going to um, tack extra fees onto their rent that they will collect. You, you will not probably, I mean, more than likely. Uh, if any maintenance needs to be done, the property management company is going to perform the maintenance and they are going to bill you along with the 10% they're collecting. If the people don't pay, the property management company is going to start evicting the clients on your behalf, the renters on your behalf, and you will be billed all of the uh, legal fees and everything else that has to do with eviction. So a property manager is basically just a barrier in between the actual owner of the house and the renter. And um, property managers, you're going to basically get paid for like anything you do. And the other thing is like as a property manager, you can handle like tons and tons of properties. So one property manager can handle like hundreds, if not thousands of units. So let's say your average rent of the places that you're managing, let's say is on, you know, let's just fuck it. We're going to do real easy math here. Let's say it's a thousand bucks. Now, let's say uh, your portfolio is a couple houses, but it's mostly multi-units. So it's mostly like 10 plexes, 12 plexes, a real apartments. Not big enough apartments where they're going to have to have somebody living there managing it, but big enough where it's like worth, you're getting bang for your buck. So let's say you're charging 10% of $1,000, which is $100, you guessed it. And let's say your property management company, you're the property manager, but you have a staff of five. You could easily handle 5,000 units. Whoops. Hold on, that didn't seem right. <laughs> Technical difficulties are plaguing the show. Hold on here. So you have uh, 5,000 units and you're getting 100 bucks. That's, that's not fucking right. There's no way. Yeah, it's 500,000 now. That's not correct. 500 units. And let's say you're 100 bucks. Yeah, 500 units. Sorry. So you're getting, so that's like uh, 500 units. That's pretty like decent. And you're getting 100 bucks. And that's 50,000 bucks per month just to collect rent. Now, if you have to do any repairs, you're basically acting as a general contractor. So you're going to send, let's say, one of the buildings needs to be painted on the outside. Uh, let's say one of the buildings needs to be roofed. Let's say this. Let's say that. So uh, let's say all those things cost $30,000. Well, you're going to like slap a, a fee on top of that, just like a general contractor. So you're going to make money off of all the repairs. And then if you fill a vacancy, you don't get 10%. You get 50% of that month's rent. So as you can see, you can make a lot of money doing that. Um, but you're going to be dealing with, uh, you're going to be dealing with people like a lot, obviously, like if you have 500 or 5,000 units that you're, uh, looking after for these, uh, owners, you're going to be getting calls like all the time. Your phone's going to be ringing off the hook. Um, you're going to be getting complaints all the time. You're going to have to be hunting down people for rent all the time. You're going to be dealing with like lots of weird situations because property managers are dealing with, Tenants, tenants are people, people do weird shit. 
Now, I've heard literally completely fucking insane stories from property managers. One time I met a guy and he had a property management company in Houston, Texas. Now, Houston, Texas is a very colorful city, right? And they were going to, I believe, go clean a house that uh, the tenant had been evicted out of or change the locks. I believe it was change the locks. And they were, him and his like guys, they were there to change the locks, do some painting, whatever. So they were like walking up to the house and, and the guy was like, well, you know, I thought it was a little weird because it was summer in Houston. So it was already super hot, but the inside of the windows were all fogged up. And he's like, that's like really strange. Like I've never seen that before. So he's like, uh, we open the front door and there is a dead horse in the living room that has been there for probably like two or three weeks. That's like halfway uh, rotted, like uh, halfway broken down. Um, and he's like, and it was literally the most disgusting smell that anyone has ever smelled. And it turns out that the guy got, um, was getting evicted and he was pissed because he thought it was bullshit that he was getting evicted. And down the street, there was a, uh, stables, um, and he grabbed a horse. He led it back to this house. He brought it into the living room and he shot it in the head with a pistol. So... That's obviously animal cruelty. So they like call the cops and they're like, and um, they call the cops because they were like pissed because this guy killed the horse and the horse's guts were all over this room and it was decaying in the, in their rental house. Um, so the cops like hunted this guy down and then like the news found out what happened. And then like PETA and all these like animal rights groups were um, like, went down to the courthouse and they were trying to get like the DA to like press charges to like, uh, to have the charges be like horse theft because they wanted, they wanted him to be hung because they were like, well, he was a horse thief because all these animal rights groups are so pissed that he like murdered a horse. Just insane. Just crazy stuff like that. I've heard of people like going to collect rent or like going to like evict someone and then like the tenant commit suicide because they're so distraught. So property management, yeah, you can make like a good amount of money doing it, but it's like, you're going to see a lot of insane stuff. It's definitely not for ever, anybody, for everybody. So if you are thinking about being a property manager, and I thought about being a property manager because I was like, you know, running the calculator saying, well, God, if I could get a thousand places and I'm making a hundred bucks per, you know, whatever, uh, that's like good money. But you're going to be like in situations that are so crazy. I mean, they even had like a TV show called world's worst tenants and the and this show like showed in just insane things. So it's not for everyone. If you're maybe thinking about this, um, you could like get a job at a property management company and like see what you have to deal with. I would do that before like diving into this thing. So property management. Yes, but it's not for everyone. Those are my three critiques. It's a maybe, maybe and a maybe. Three maybes. So uh, that wraps her up, wraps up the app. Um, if you guys uh, need some business ideas, if you like a business idea critiqued, if you want information on businesses for sale, if you're thinking about selling a business, if you want additional business uh, information on buying a business, holla at your boy. I'm on the YouTubes. I'm on the, I'm all over the internet. Just Google Zach Herger Idea Addict or just check the show notes. Figure it out. 
Uh, if you if you can't figure that out, I can't help you. But uh, anyway, till next time. And remember, I'm releasing them on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays and Thursdays. <clears throat> so I will catch you guys on Tuesday. See ya.